This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. And Amazon is coming back to Michigan. I mean, it's been here for a little while, and now they are expanding even more. It was recently announced that they're going to have four new sites across Michigan over the next year and year after that. That includes a million-square-foot fulfillment center in mid-Michigan near Lansing. That's right. And, you know, if you listen to this show for a while now, you know that we've talked a little bit about this. And uh, earlier this year, we talked with Congressman Andy Levin about what was going on in Bessemer, Alabama, where Amazon workers were attempting to unionize. Uh, That effort failed. But uh, Congressman Levin had a lot uh, to say about what that meant. And so we wanted to catch up with the congressman about what's happening now right here in Michigan. Uh, Congressman Levin, welcome to Mishmash. Hey, J.K. Shana, it's great to be back with you. So let's start off with just sort of a general question of what is what is this going to mean for Michigan? Is this a good thing for Michigan that we're having even more Amazon across the state? I mean, Amazon gobbling up the world, I don't think is a good thing, whether in Michigan or anywhere <laughs> else. We like jobs. We like good jobs. What we need is workers to have the freedom to make their jobs good jobs by forming unions. And so that's, you know, the great question with a company like Amazon. As you said, you know, this could mean quite a few jobs here in Michigan. Uh, Amazon has come out and tried to say, look, you know, we're hiring people in at uh, well over even $15 an hour now. And we're, we're trying to put out this image that, look, we, we are compensating people fairly well compared to other uh, entry level jobs, especially. What's your reaction to that sort of campaign to make them look like they're um, they're actually fair to their workers? Well, Jake, first of all, warehouse workers make more money than than that. Uh, So they're not being so great to pay people $15 an hour, $18 an hour. I mean, it's a sector where workers tend to make more money uh, and and they should, and they should be able to fight for it. That really what Amazon is doing to work in general is a huge problem for our whole society. Um, the dehumanizing nature of it, the way they're like speed ups as if it was a Charlie Chaplin movie, you know, for our time where the machine speeds up, you know, and he gets gobbled up. If you haven't watched those old movies, everybody go watch them. <laughs> I, I'll, vouch, I'll vouch for that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, anyway. So I think that really the issue for people who care about justice and care about workers isn't trying to stand in front of change and stop it. It's about, can change be worker-centered? Can workers have a say? Can workers shape their workplace? Can they have a health and safety committee where they really feel secure to raise difficult issues? That kind of thing doesn't exist at Amazon anywhere because of the nature of the company. So it really, I think if Amazon came here and workers could unionize and then they could have a democratic process to have input into their job, those jobs could become good jobs, just like auto jobs became much better jobs when 100 years ago when workers created the UAW and made those jobs good. They certainly weren't good jobs (laughs) beforehand. Low pay, super dangerous, right? So it's really a question of, you know, the workers being free to form unions. Amazon has crushed attempts to form unions at its facilities and has opposed our Protecting the Right to Organize Act to free workers generally to have more voice and power at work. We mentioned the situation in Alabama and the union attempts to unionize that failed. Uh, 
has since that happened, has there been any efforts that you can see by Amazon to essentially, you know, learn a lesson from that experience to offer better uh, conditions for their employees? Or are they just sort of continuing on the same old, same old? Uh, no, there haven't. So first of all, we ought to give folks an update that the National Labor Relations Board regional director down there found that Amazon broke the law. And, you know, it's likely that another election will be ordered. Uh, so, you know, and Amazon is fighting that. So, you know, they're not showing any kind of reform in the Bessemer situation. And one of the reasons I was so active in supporting those workers is the story it told got out to the whole world. And now you have the, the, the union that was there, RWDSU and the Teamsters and other unions all over the country getting together with Amazon workers to try to help them organize. So it's really um, lighting a fire of, uh, you know, of kind of a national movement of Amazon workers to improve the situation. And so far, the company's fighting it tooth and nail. And there's evidence they're acting like that in other states like New York. I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, what Congress can and should do uh, in your mind as, as it relates to this, as you mentioned there, there have been efforts in the past to uh, guarantee more rights for workers, but what are, what is the prospects of uh, actually taking action? I, there's a lot on Congress's agenda right now, but uh, do you sense that there's any, uh, you know, groundswell of support for uh, passing legislation that would protect workers? Well, there's a huge groundswell of support, but as you know, Jake, that doesn't mean legislation happens. I mean, 90-some percent of Americans favor universal background checks, and we don't seem to ever get those, even if the House passes them over and over, because the Senate is too scared of the NRA or something. I don't know. But here's the thing. I've got some good news. <laughs> I'm, I'm sit on the Education and Labor Committee in the House. We already finished work on our part of the president's Build Back Better program, the Build Back Better Act in, in the Congress. And we included uh, parts of the Protecting the Right to Organize Act in the Build Back Better Act because some of it is quite financial. And that we have to, you know, in a reconciliation bill, which is the format we're doing this in, you can't do a lot of heavy policy, but you can do things that have fiscal impact. Well, if you find employers for, who are lawbreakers, that brings money in. If you find employers, if they fire workers for trying to form a union, if they intimidate workers, if they fire workers who are bargaining for a first contract or who are trying to support other workers, uh, that brings money in. We included that part of the Protecting the Right to Organize Act in uh, the Build Back Better Act. It's gonna be included in the Senate. I'm very hopeful that'll make it through to the end. So that's at least one piece, but I have to tell you, it's absolutely not enough. And we need to uh, pass a broad labor reform legislation, namely the PRO Act, it, the, the whole bill in order to really change things. I wanna speak to your question of groundswell of support. You know, the, the, the polling just keeps getting better on this, that the American people support unions, they support of workers having unions. Uh, the Gallup poll asks the same question every year. And this year, the public support for unions was the highest that it's been in decades and decades. And Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, did a much more in-depth study of non-union workers. And they found that 48% of non-union workers would like to have a union. Well, the most 
we ever got in America was like 35%. So even if, you know, a significant portion of those workers could have their wish, we would get back to a situation where large swaths of American workers were unionized and, and they could really take a chunk out of the horrible income and wealth inequality we have in our society. So kind of zeroing in on that, given that Amazon is continuing to expand specifically in Michigan, have you been noticing any uh, swell of efforts in Michigan to to unionize uh, for Amazon workers? Are we going to see something in Michigan like we saw in Alabama? Well, I certainly hope so. But I have, uh, without saying what location or locations, um, I have to tell you that I have um, talk to workers, talk to advocates, talk to people in the community who are concerned, um, who want to make sure that if Amazon comes to their community, that there's a safe workplace, that there's a workplace where the workers can have a voice, uh, where their life isn't just run by robots and sensors, but and they're not so dehumanized, where they actually can go to the bathroom if they need to go to the bathroom, which believe it or not is very difficult if you're an Amazon worker at one of these huge facilities. So yes, I'm, I, I think we're seeing um, uh, a real interest among workers and the public in Michigan in this. And it's also true in other places. I mentioned earlier New York, but there's been quite an organizing campaign going on there and in other parts of the country as well. Uh, Congressman, I wanted to ask about the big news out of uh, Congress uh, happening right now, which is about the budget and about the $3.5 trillion spending bill. Um, you know, there's a lot happening in committees right now to make sure that the the things that need to happen to set up a big vote on these bills or big votes on uh, on this plan um, you know, for one thing, catch us up on sort of uh, your your involvement on that. And are you optimistic that within your majority, within the Democratic majority, that uh, you'll be able to reach a place where everyone uh, sort of is on the same page about how you're going to go forward with uh, a, a very complex process that would allow Democrats to go it alone without Republican support? Well, Jake, Earlier this month, on the 9th and 10th of September, we did our portion of the Build Back Better Act in the Education and Labor Committee. And I I just got to tell you, I was so proud when we finished to be just, you know, a little foot soldier in this effort. We not only uh, got the biggest single chunk of the $3.5 trillion, about $760 billion in our one committee, uh, across the finish line, we actually improved it. And in particular, we expanded the childcare provisions. So nobody has to pay more than 7% of their family income for childcare. Boom, that's simple. And I feel so strongly about that. You know, my, our kids are older, but I remember when Mary and I had you know, three kids, five and under in the house. And you just, you know, I mean, American families need childcare. We're working women need childcare. Single parents need childcare. And it's important for those kids for their development. It's important for those parents and making ends meet. But just if you want to take a cold eyed view of the American economy, we will not be firing on all cylinders unless people can work. And in our sexist society, 
women do an overwhelming share of that care for kids and elders, by the way. And we've seen the results. Women have dropped out of the workforce by the hundreds of thousands because they had to take care of their kids because childcare was closed or do the schooling because, you know, schooling, school is virtual. So now schools are open again and we've got to get childcare up and running. So that was great. But we did childcare. We did universal pre-K. We did my America's College Promise Act, free community college, no fees and no um, no tuition at community college for all, everybody. Um, and also a highly subsidized two years at historically black colleges and universities and other minority serving institutions. This we're talking about letting working people breathe in this country. How many people work paycheck to paycheck? How many people have no savings? Well, if they can afford college without debt and if they can have affordable childcare and you know, it, it, all these other things to, to lift up their economic situation, I think we can unleash a, a much better time in this country, a more just time with a real focus on racial equity and um, it'll, it'll lift our whole economy. So I'm, you know, we, we must get this done. We did our part in education and labor and I hope we get the whole big complicated uh, package across the finish line. So those are some of the good points. What are some things that are proving difficult to get past that you really want to see and that you think people should be aware of and, and that people should know, like, hey, we want this to get done, but it's looking it's it's looking tricky? Well, so there's a few things. Number one, we have to empower the government to negotiate the prices of prescription drugs and drive them way down. And so... There was a lot of coverage of three of my most conservative Democratic colleagues objecting to that in um, the uh, in the um, Energy and Commerce Committee, but the Ways and Means Committee <laughs> got it in there. So that is something that people should watch. Will we have robust uh, plans to lower the cost of prescription drugs? The other big thing, Shana, I would say is the complex mix of provisions on climate change. It is crucial that we make this by far the biggest piece of legislation in American history to tackle climate change. Unfortunately, that isn't saying much, but there really is a lot in there. So for example, we've got to keep major incentives for people to buy electric vehicles and not some weird tax cut that you get in April, or even if you buy it, you know, it's we've got this as a bigger tax, uh, bigger uh, uh, cut in, in, you know, incentive and you get it at point of sale and the dealer deals with the tax part. So basically in the dealer lot, you just get the money off the price of your EV. We, we need to keep it high and we need to keep a lot of the incentive to be in there for union made vehicles in America. I wouldn't mind if it was in America and Canada, but it's got to be you know, union made vehicles here in, you know, in our neighborhood. And so that's crucial, but we've got a major plan in there to drive the utilities to, to adopt way more solar and other renewables, wind and so forth. Um, that needs to stay. There's a lot of talk about carbon pricing in there. I'm fighting for something that isn't making it in the house, but is very serious uh, in the Senate, which is, 
funding for a just transition for coal miners and refinery workers and so forth. So we can really get going with this showing workers who it's not their fault. They've got a great union job, you know, working in a, in an oil refinery or something. And if that work is going to go away, they should be held harmless wages, benefits, a, a bridge to retirement, everything. And kind of a GI bill of job training so that if they're younger and they want to keep working, they can do whatever the heck they want and contribute to society again in the way that's best for them. So uh, there are a lot of climate uh, change provisions in here. And I'm nervous about how many of those stay in because of course, all the industries that don't want to change are fighting them with armies of lobbyists. Yep, and that's not that's not surprising, knowing the nature of these bills and and sort of the 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 battles that have happened in the past. But as I mentioned, you know, there's there's so many moving pieces here, and it's not just complex in terms of the parliamentary procedures going forward, but also in creating that democratic consensus. And now, as someone who is a progressive member of Congress, I'm curious what your thoughts are about how tailored this needs to be to win support from moderate Democrats, generally speaking. I mean, uh, there are a lot of people who say, look, we can't lose many parts of this bill just to appease moderate Democrats. Uh, but without their support, you, you might not be able to get it through. What is the priority? Is it, is it, are you willing to give up some of these things to make sure that this bill happens, maybe if it's not in, in an ideal form? Well, so... First of all, I'd say that this three and a half trillion dollars is already a compromise. The Progressive Caucus wanted a six trillion dollar package. And obviously, this is much smaller than that. And in truth, it's not enough money to do everything we want. And so there has to be a lot of compromising within the package. Uh, Let me just give you one example. There has we have not the, the federal government committed decades ago to pay 40% of the costs of IDEAs, educational uh, plans for kids with, with, with emotional, intellectual challenges, disabilities. We've never got above like 15%, Jake. And I think we should get much. We, that's not in there. Cause it's, you know, it, 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 it was left on the cutting room floor. So it's already a compromise. Number one, number two, Um, everybody, we're all going to get to vote on one final package. So my more conservative colleagues, my more progressive colleagues, we're all going to say, well, none of us got everything we want. Some people may think something's too big. Some people may think it's too small, but this is the president's vision and it's, it would do so much good, uh, that we need to get it done. Third point is political. These more, you know, conservative Democrats or progressive Democrats, we're not, none of us are going to be in the majority unless we deliver for the American people. And this really delivers. Just take the child tax credit that we, we, uh, we set up in the American Rescue Plan. Every, the 15th of every month, every family, poor family, working class family, way up into the middle class is getting 250 bucks a month for every kid six and over and 300 bucks a month for every kid five and under that it goes away unless we extend it. I don't think any of us think it makes a lot of sense to give that to people for a year and then cut it off before an election. It's just 
for one thing, it's the right policy to have in general, but for another. So I think uh, because everybody needs to compromise left, right, and center, because um, it's so politically important. And the, the third thing I really do want to emphasize is this, what we're talking about is not the progressive caucus plan. It's the Joe Biden plan. This moderate Democrat with a long history of bipartisanship, he got a bipartisan infrastructure bill done. He hasn't been able to get Republicans to go along because they won't do stuff on climate change or really that helps poor and working class people. But Democrats need to unify over this to support our president. And so for all those reasons, I hopeful, I'm hopeful we'll get something done. And even if we lose a few little things along the way, I'm fighting to keep it as robust as it can be. Congressman Andy Levin, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you here with us on Mishmash. Thanks. You all are great. I love the way you work together, too. That's, <laughs> that's the model for collaboration. People hear this on the radio and on a podcast, but I'm seeing them on Zoom and they're very they work. They work together very nicely. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, that's all for Mishmash this week. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for tuning in. 